Good morning, everyone. It is such a privilege to be back here um, so soon. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, my husband Brad and I lead a church in Amshloti called The Table. Uh, we planted it in 2019, yes, just before COVID and before the floods and before the riots, and it's been an interesting time to lead a church. And um, it has been so wonderful for us the last couple months um, to be journeying uh, with Olive Tree a little bit. You guys, anyone who's been involved in a church plant knows how hard it is. And so when guys come alongside you and bless you and encourage you, it is absolutely wonderful. So we are doing the same series at the table. We're just tracking one week behind. So last week we had Ross um, come and talk around um, how your identity defines your destiny. Um, and tonight uh, we've got Abonga with us and then next week I do this at the table. So it's just so wonderful to partner like this. And today, um, if you are tracking with the series, you probably know that um, our topic today is around how God created us male and female as men and women, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, um, daughters and sons in Christ. And so I have a, a privilege of tackling this very big and very complicated topic. Um, you know, through the generations, it has been like a bit of a war. Um, of, of the genders, war of the sexes, women's liberation, toxic masculinity, down with the patriarchy, sexism, gender-based violence. Um, and it is a bit of a minefield to talk into. If uh, a lot of you would have seen just this month in the news, a 22-year-old woman in Iran was, was killed in police custody for having her hair um, loose under her headscarf. Um, and... and um, for those of you who are uh, on social media, you'll be aware of some of the very, very toxic male role models out there. Um, we have this generation of teenage boys, many of them fatherless, fatherless, looking, looking for what it means to be a man and coming across role models like Andrew Tate, um, who, who are selling our sons this disgusting, toxic, violent version of masculinity um, to a, a, a generation of boys who, who just asking, what does it mean to be a man? Um, you know, it, the uh, gender has become, and over the generations, has been a tool of oppression, manipulation, domination, belittlement, both against men and against women. Um, and it's always been something that is so complicated, and, our, and it is so important that we as followers of Jesus understand why it is so important to live in this profound and um, powerful gift that God has given us. Just this week, I was in Cape Town. I was talking at a school around um, topics on social media, and um, it was quite interesting. It was a big co-ed school, and all the girls were seated this side, and the boys were seated this side, probably just to keep them, um, you know, focused. And, and at the end of the talk, one of the girls um, asked a question, and she says, if one of the boys objectify us on social media, what can we as a collective do about it? And even in her language, it was a them and us. And what can we do to make sure they are not being unfair towards us? And I just feel this division, this, this warring against one another, which was never what God intended it to be for us. And so, um, yeah, and then... Uh, also, I was, I was next to the hockey field. I, my sons play a lot of hockey, and, and uh, I think my ears were just attuned to kind of gender comments, and, and I heard a, a dad jokingly 
Um, well, he actually said it to me. He was like, oh, you're out of the kitchen. Um, and don't you, aren't you supposed to be back in the kitchen? You know, that, that terrible age-old um, chauvinistic half-joke comment. And, um, you know, I've never disliked being a woman. In fact, I've always loved being a woman. I've never, I've never I, I, have a, I have a great life experience of being a woman. Of course, I've experienced sexist comments and patronizing behavior, um, from men, which is kind of par for the course. Um, but I was raised by a very strong, independent woman. Um, I had, my mom was pretty much a single mom from um, practically from when I was 12, but in essence from when I was about eight or nine. And, and she was a nurse. And um, so we didn't have a lot of money, but she raised me to know that um, as women, we can do it. We've got what it takes to succeed. And she raised um, my daughter, uh, my sister and I, um, to be very powerful, very competent people. By the time I was 15, I could change a car tire, I could change plugs, I could do what I needed to do, DIY in the house. By the time I was 16, I was earning my own money, I was managing my own money, um, and, then it didn't, it, uh, and then by the time I left school, I chose a, the, the male-dominated field of um, hard news journalism. And by the time I was 22, I was in the midst of the ANC-IFP conflict in KwaZulu-Natal, in, in northern KwaZulu-Natal, with police escorts and gunshots and, and taking photos and writing news stories. And never for one minute did I think I shouldn't be here because I'm a woman. I felt like this was where um, I wanted to be. And, and I... And I um, I, and then I married a man who, who made me feel exactly the same way. He never made me feel like I was a second-class citizen because I was a woman or there was anything I couldn't do. He has always protected me, encouraged me, cared for me, um, and given me um, what, I, what I needed to be the woman God had called me to be. It was actually when I came into the church that I started to struggle with what it meant to be a woman. Um, I got saved when I was about 28 years old and came on to church leadership in my 30s. And, and I remember when, um, when my husband and I came on to the leadership of this church, scrapbooking was a thing. Do you guys remember scrapbooking? Like, I've never liked crafts. I've dealt with a lot of parent shame for the lack of crafts that happened in my children's childhood. I took them to the beach instead, a lot less messy. Um, but scrapbooking was a thing, and I felt like all that these ladies wanted to do was scrapbook. And, um, and it kind of felt like, like the role of the, the pastor's wives in the church was to, was to kind of travel with their husbands, um, you know, sit in the front row and take good notes and go, amen, preach it. Um, and, and then I would go to these conferences, these huge conferences, and these amazing men would stand up and preach sermon after sermon after sermon, and I would wait for that one token woman to stand up, because there was always one, just so we can prove, you know, that we care about the women and they have a voice. Um, and, and then kind of felt like women's role was like to go to Bible study, to do your scrapbooking, you know, and then to, to lead the odd ladies thing. But I just, I kind of couldn't find my place. I couldn't find um, where I was meant to be. And, um, and, I, and with my personality and my worldview and my skill sets and my understanding of womanhood, this kind of didn't appeal to me that much. And thankfully, I had this amazing husband because... I, a lot of the time I felt like I was too bossy, too outspoken, too pushy, too opinionated, and I was just too much. 
Um, and it, it took a lot of time for me to figure out um, where God wanted me. And, and, and fortunately, I had this incredible husband to walk alongside me. And that um, he had given me a voice to, to help people and to, to love people and import, most importantly, to talk about Jesus. Now, the one negative thing about being raised by this very independent, very capable mom is that I grew up um, and decided that I would never need a man. I might enjoy having one around, find a good-looking husband and, you know, like enjoy having a guy around, but I would never let myself need him because I'd seen that play out in my own parents' marriage and that did not end well. Um, and so poor Brad, when he met me, I was this hyper-independent, um, you know, quite walled-up person and, um, uh, and I was incredibly guarded. And I also didn't know Jesus at this point, so that didn't help. Um, but with the grace of God and Brad's love and patience and healthy relationships modeled for me, including my husband's parents who had this and still have this beautiful marriage, I slowly allowed God to change my heart um, around um, marriage and about the role of men in our lives. Um, and, and I started to understand that, that needing other people is not a sign of weakness, it's actually a sign of courage. Um, and that men and women are both amazing. And we actually are the most powerful when we work together um, and we are alongside one another. Now, I know a lot of you here um, might, um, like me, have this biblical binary um, view of gender, but I, I'm, I'm very, very aware because I talk into this space all the time that there may be some of you who don't, um, who actually have that, that struggle with labels and stereotypes and the whole idea of gender being binary. We're not going to talk about that today. That's, we can talk about it another time, um, but what I really want to talk about today is how I believe God in heaven defines us and why that is so important for us. Um, and so I want to start in the New Testament and then work my way back. So if you can please put that Galatians scripture up. Um, this is where I want us to start. Um, so there we go. It's Galatians 3 verse 27 to 29. And it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, um, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So here Paul actually says there's no male and female. Okay, so why on earth am I going on and on about the importance of male and female? Um, but actually, Paul does talk a lot about male and female being, being separate. And in here, what he's actually saying is that in Christ we have a new identity, that our spirit man is reborn, um, and that our value is not based on our gender or on our race, like you heard last week, on our social status or anything else. In Christ, it's based on the fact that Christ lives in us, that we are reborn by his spirit. And if you are in Christ, you're a new creation, and all of those other things um, are secondary to that. In fact, our gender is quite far down the list. We, have, we are the light of the world, the righteousness of Christ the salt of the earth, um, heirs according to his covenant. Um, but only after that, we are male or female, um, black, Indian, white, South African or Argentinian, don't know who you want to be today, um, but we are all those things. But it's in, those things are still important. And male and female is still important. Yes, our spirit man 
um, that lives within us identifies us as sons and daughters of, of Christ and is our ultimate identity. But how we view ourselves as male and female will also define us and it will define how we treat other people. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, and those of you who were with me last time will know that I used the scripture, and you'll probably think this is the, I, go, I get to Genesis 2 and I stop reading the Bible. Um, but this is important because this does tell us um, how God created us. And this is Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill this earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves along the ground. And so that one line, so God created mankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So much debate has happened around this one piece of scripture, um, theo theologically, biologically, neurologically, and practically. But in the next chapter, if you can go to that, we find a little bit more detail that adds some clarity and a little bit more complexity. So Genesis 2, verse 20 to 24, says, but for Adam no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the, man, the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. There's so much in these passages about this incredible design of God to make us men and women, but I just want to pick up on a couple of things. The first one is that God made man and woman to display his glorious diversity. Um, we see in creation this Trinitarian God um, creating humanity in his image. That word Adam is actually better translated, it's Ha'adam, which is translated mankind or humanity. So God creates humanity in his image and then he takes humanity and he divides it into two. So he takes the image of God and he divides it into two. He divides it into a man and into a woman. And I would love to have been there um, you know, in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we go, okay, what should we put in this one? And what should we put in that one? And how will they work best together? No, 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 there's too much of that. Let's rather put that here. And as God just made man and woman, and then he, and then he went on to our brains and how we would think and, and how um, we would nurture and how we would lead and what we would do and then, and then move on to our, our hormones and, and the levels of different estrogen, testosterone, all of these things. And then, and then, through our bodies, we said, okay, let's make um, the man's forehead a bit longer. Let's give him this weird lump in his neck. Um, let's make his legs a bit longer. Let, yes, we must make the woman's hips a bit wider because she's going to have the babies. Um, and all the way down, I don't know if you know this, but your every single cell is stamped, male or female. If I took a 
tiny piece of skin off you and I put it under a microscope, someone much cleverer than me would look at it and say, that's a male cell or that's a female cell. So he made these two glorious creatures and he said this is very, very good. Um, a man and a woman. I just, I just love just the picture of what they would look like. And together, this man and this woman um, would radiate the glory of God. They would show the world um, and what together what, 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 what God looks like. And the second thing about this is that we were made to complement one another. We were not made to fight one another and to war against one another. We were made to complement one another. You know, I think every, every girl like, has a little shudder at that line that goes, um, no helper was found for Adam, so a helper was made for him. No, it was not as... Adam needed a slave to bring his slippers and his pipe um, or to rub his feet after a hard day or to say, well done, good husband, you're doing great, carry on, uh, you know, while she scuttled back and made the food and changed the nappies and whatever. That is not what that word means. Um, he, God did not make a lesser creature to facilitate the success of um, you know, humanity 101. He made the two to be together. The word helper here is the same word that is, that is used in many places of the Bible for the way God helps his people. And God is anything but our slave. In Deuteronomy 33 verse 29 is an example of this, where it says, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, your glorious and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will tread on their hearts. That is what it means to be a helper. He created not a slave to man, but a powerful and much-needed helper to partner with him. Um, and to carry gifts, perspectives, views, and solutions that man needed, and vice versa. Um, John Tyson, who leads a church in New York called Church of the City, as he puts it, and I love this, and I think it is so true, um, one of the reasons, one of the things that, that men and women do to each other is we bring out the best and we suppress the worst in each other. You know, I have the, the, the wonderful opportunity of spending Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays at a massive boys' school. Um, I'm rewriting an, a life orientation curriculum for them. So I spend three days a week with 310 15-year-old boys. And they're fun. But man, when they are just boys, they are a little feral. <laughs> They don't care what they look like. They're scruffy. They're a little bit like, you know, letting it all hang out, kind of just, they're not their best selves. But once a term, we have um, a social. And boys and girls can come to this grade 8 to 10. And boy, oh boy, when those guys come to that social, I barely recognize them. They have got their best selves on, not only in what they wear, but in how they're presenting themselves. They are offering the girls something to drink. They, are, they, are, they, they just change. And the presence of the opposite sex actually brings out the best in us. So if you have a big room of men, it's often a bit of a testosterone fest and an alpha male battle. But you throw a couple of ladies in there and the servant heart of the man arises, and, and, it's, and it's the same with women. I think one of the biggest problems in, especially our junior primary schools, is there's just too many women. Um, there's all female teachers. You throw a couple of male teachers in there, and the atmosphere changes. 
Um, we need male teachers. If there's any young men in the room here who are wondering what to do with their lives, we need men in education. Um, and so it, it is this glorious thing that um, in the presence of the other gender releases our strengths and, res and restrains our weakness. We function so well together, each one complementing one another to do what God has mandated us to do. And the third thing I want to say is that God separated humanity, and it says this at the end of that Genesis 2 scripture I told you, I read to you, to bring us back together. And that, that, reuni that reuniting is what we call marriage and sex. It says, so for this reason, a man will leave his woman and his, sorry, leave his parents and be united with his wife. So he, he separates humanity into two, and then in marriage, he brings them back together into the most ultimate version of intimacy called sexual intimacy and the ultimate human covenant called marriage. And so that is why marriage is so important and why sex is such a big deal because it is part of God's glorious plan um, for man and woman. And, and Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew 19, four to six, where he says, haven't you heard um, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So humanity separated, again becoming one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so from the scripture, we see Jesus reaffirming God's relational plan for humanity, where one man is marrying one woman, not just for a life partnership, not just for companionship or family or all of those wonderful things, but for something deeper, bigger and more profound, that two distinct parts of God's image would be reunited once again to most fully reflect it. And then it goes even one step further, and we see this in Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32, where Paul again is quoting Genesis 2. We have that scripture, if you want to put it up, where it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so what we see here is that when a man and a woman come together in marriage, not only is it, um, is it the reunification of humanity, it is a picture of the future when Christ and his church become one again. So, so this is a big deal. Um, it's a signpost and a prophetic declaration of the reunification of Jesus and his bride for all eternity. Okay, so that's a lot. And as beautiful as this design was, it was for a very short time that man and woman were naked and unashamed. <laughs> It didn't last long before sin entered the world and it marred God's design for, for, um, for and over millennia we see gender being used as a political tool to suppress women, not able to vote, not able to hold certain jobs, it leads to abuse and domination, um, it, it led to female babies being rejected at birth. 
um, cause, and then it caused women to push back and to try and fight and reclaim um, their identity to the point of making men believe that masculinity was toxic and that the future was female leaving this generation of boys not knowing what is expected of them. And it's also led to women rejecting their gender roles completely as refining and restrictive, and that to be successful, they needed to be like men. I actually worked like, a, my first editor was an example of this. She was terrifying. Um, and it was like she didn't want to be a woman because she didn't feel like women carried authority and were respected. So she used to, she used to just dominate us um, in this very, very scary way. Um, and as women has fought back and stepped back, um, sorry, fought back, often men have stepped back, ab abdicating their, their, their God-given roles and responsibilities um, in churches and homes, feeling bullied and demasculated by women. You know, through the, through the 2000s, our sitcoms always painted the same picture. A capable woman running the home, a, a useless man sitting on the couch watching TV. And that is how they, they portrayed men for many, many, it's, it's coming right. You know, Modern Family is a prime example of this. Um, but but we, we see these capable mothers raising children, running homes, working outside the home alongside incapable passive fathers who are tolerated and patronized as outdated, irrelevant, and passively going along with whatever their very capable wives decide. I hated every minute of that because it's not um, the picture that God wanted for us. None of this serves us well. None of these ideas serve God in his beautiful plan. And so how do we do this? You know, I think it's important for us to take away today that, that gender is a big deal, that it's a gift from God, that it's something important and beautiful and has huge implications for our society. So how do we, as followers of Christ, live now? How do we um, embrace not only our own genders as men and as women, but also how do we work together and partner well um, with those around us, with the opposite sex journeying forward, stewarding this amazing um, earth that God has mandated us to steward? So a couple of things that I think are important. The first thing is we need to trust God in his design. His design has mandated gender so clearly and so beautifully for us. So for those of us who follow Christ, I believe we submit to his lordship and we trust his goodness in creating us man and woman. In a very confusing time, I think we need to settle in our hearts that gender is not um, you know, a political system made up by patriarchal oafs or something confining made up by Victorian prudes. Gender is something, it's not a, a personal choice or a social construct. It is part of God's very, very good plan for humanity. It is a vital part of my identity given to me by a loving God and part of his incredible plans for my life. I think the second thing is to remember that God has given us Diversity in gender, diversity in roles, but equality in value. You know, I, I came across this girl a little while ago when I was talking up in Howick, and she, she was about 18 year, years old. I'm not sure if I shared the story with you guys. She was a Zulu girl, and she said to me, I've decided to disassociate from my gender. And when I started talking to her, and she told me a little bit of her story, um, she said, you know, in her house growing up, her father had all the power and her mom had none. 
Her father made the money, her mom stayed at home. Her father spent the money, her mom was just given money to buy groceries. Her father decided what they did, when they did it, and often he was abusive to her mom. And her words to me was, I do not want to buy into that. And so we've got to remember that... Um, that gender and male and female, sometimes there are very, very bad examples of this um, and, and, and can lead us to, to wanting to, to break away from it completely. And often um, what we're doing is we're not, we're not pushing away our gender, we're pushing away defined toxic gender roles and stereotypes. And that is good and we need to do that. Jesus did that all the time. He defied the patriarchy at every turn. You just have to think about the fact that he spoke to women in public. Um, he had female friends. You weren't allowed to have female friends. Um, he discussed theology with women. Women weren't even allowed to listen to the reading um, you know, of, of the Torah. He, he, um, he entrusted women with the news of the resurrection. And then one of the most beautiful stories, and I've always struggled with the story of Mary and Martha because I'm much more a Martha than a Mary. Um, but he, but what, what I realized, if you don't know the story, Mary and Martha were two sisters in a, in a home, and they were very good friends. The family was very good friends of Jesus. And um, in, in this culture, most of the time, the woman prepared the food, and the men sat with Jesus and listened to him talk about theology. But Mary... Um, was having none of this. She didn't want to be sitting in the kitchen making the food and missing out on hearing what Jesus had to say. So she sat down with the men and she refused to move. And I often think, that's so unfair. Your poor sister's slaving away in the kitchen and here you are loafing about. Um, but what, what, the reason this is so important is that Jesus was affirming um, that this was a good choice and that women could do what men could do. And they had every right to Jesus. They had every right to be where men were. And in Matthew 5, 28, Jesus speaks out very harshly about the objectification of women. Um, and he affirms women as capable. So gender roles may differ from culture to culture and family to family, but men are women and men are always of equal value. And the last point is that gender does not confine us, it releases us. Um, Jesus, God's design is not small and it's not confining. It's riverbanks, guardrails, beautiful structures that hold the glory of God. Um, these are powerful gifts that make our, make our culture and ourselves stronger, not weaker. There is such a richness and a diversity um, in nurturing mothers, protective fathers, not just siblings, but brothers and sisters. Not just parents, but mothers and fathers, um, sons, daughters, aunts, uncles, all of these beautiful names are part of our identities and our callings that we should walk in, trust God in, and lean on his grace and wisdom, encouraging one another and embracing as so good. So just as I come into land... Um, right on time, thank goodness, um, all of this said, I just want to encourage us with one simple truth. We are on the same team. You know, I wanted to entitle this, this message, and I will right now, called Battle for the Sexes. <laughs> we are on the same team. We are not two opposing teams fighting one another. We are on team humanity and team Jesus. <laughs> and we are fighting not against one another, but alongside one another to release each other into who God has called us to be. And so when I spoke to that girl in Cape Town and she was trying to make me tell the boys what to do so that they would stop being such, um, I don't know, whatever, 
I said to her, you know what we need to do is we need to collaborate. We need to understand one another. You need to speak. We need to talk to these boys and help them understand what that picture on social media made you feel like. And we need to work together to understand how to love one another and honor one another. We are not in a, in a fight for slices of a pie. It is a fight for dignity, honor, and unity of together as humanity, finding how best we can live and work alongside each other to fulfill this mandate that God has given us from the very beginning, to love and care for the world, to build healthy, safe communities, and to find our own voices and our, in our own spaces. And let's do this together as men and women, one in Christ. So let's, if you see someone or hear someone belittling someone because of their gender, objectifying someone for their gender, shaming someone for their gender, please, let's fight against that. Let's fight for those girls in Iraq. Let's fight against the toxic masculinity on the internet. And let's raise men and women, boys and girls, who know who they are and know how good it is. And I just want to finish with one scripture that I think um, is so beautiful in this space. It's Thessalonians, sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Encourage, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you have been doing. Guys and girls, let's protect one another, serve one another, build one another up, make each one feel valued and competent and equal. And let's call each other up into the beautiful and powerful calling as sons and daughters of God. Thank you.